This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 221, Photography. I am Hal Hammonds, Citizen of Heaven, your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for listening, rating, and subscribing. But Hal, you may be saying photography wasn't invented until the 19th century. What's it have to do with the gospel? Well, that's what you're here to find out, right? This week we will discuss whether God is a photographer or a sketch artist, who the most famous anonymous couple in America actually was and whether we should care, what exposure to Jesus can do if we take the lens cap off, and the perfect way to take a perfect picture of not-so-perfect people. We'll start with what I've been preaching. They say perfect is the enemy of good. By searching for the thing that is perfect, we essentially do without. And in most situations, perfect is unattainable anyway. Living in Central Texas, I'm surrounded by people who seem obsessed with finding the perfect beef brisket. They get out of bed crazy early, drive all over the state, wait in line for hours and hours just to try the latest hole in the wall to be featured in Texas Monthly. Me, I'm content to patronize any of the dozen or so good places for brisket within easy driving distance of my front door. And to be grateful, I don't have to get by with what my friends back in Florida call beef brisket. But my feelings on barbecue can wait for another day. Perfect is a Bible concept, no doubt about it. Jesus says that our love needs to be perfect, like God's love in Matthew 5, 48. The one who can manage his tongue is a perfect man, according to James 3, 2. Colossians 4.12 records how Epaphras was praying that his brethren be perfect in the will of God. But I think we all recognize that these passages and others like them use the word perfect to mean that which was intended, a mature and complete reality. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in the Unicorns episode the folly of looking for the perfect man or woman to marry. Many of our young people desire marriage, but they have a precise and extensive list of requirements that must be met by any applicants. It's like they're carrying a photograph around, living in full confidence that the precise person of their dreams will turn up eventually. Congregations often have the same philosophy when trying to point elders. They get so obsessed with finding the perfect candidate, they wind up excluding perfectly good candidates, even to the point of sabotaging the process entirely. But how, you may be saying, we have specific qualifications for elders given in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We have to respect the qualifications. Well, let's talk about qualifications for a bit. Personally, I don't use the term qualifications in connection with elder appointment. The Bible doesn't use it or any equivalent term. The lists in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are character traits and life circumstances that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, says indicate a good match. You find a man who looks like this. You have yourself an elder candidate. Descriptions like these are by their nature much more like sketches than photographs. The lists don't say married for at least 20 years. They say husband of one wife. They don't say hosts Bible studies and potlucks at least once every month. They say hospitable. They don't say at least two children, all of whom have been baptized and are actively practicing their faith with sound congregations. They say with faithful children or believing children and manages this household well. The intention is for Timothy and Titus to keep this character sketch in mind, then look at which men in the congregation fit the description, then approach those men and encourage them to seek the office. I can't tell you how many churches have gone to war over personal judgments in these matters. Well, surely it's best if all as children are Christians, one person may say. No argument here. 
And two children are better than one. Three are better than two. Faithful in their 20s is better than faithful in their teens. On and on we could go. But we're not looking for perfect candidates. We're looking for people who fit the description. But people get so wedded to their convictions, they think every candidate must scratch all of the itches of all the members. They wind up binding their personal judgments on the entire group, all in the name of playing it safe. The idea is, if we're not sure he's the right man for the job, and when I say we're not sure, of course I mean I'm not sure, surely it's better to play it safe and not appoint him. And as a result, ostensibly in an effort to make sure we do what God wants us to do, we avoid doing precisely what God has commanded us to do. Exactly how does that qualify as playing it safe? Here's the dirty truth no one wants to talk about. Some Christians don't want elders. Typically, they themselves do not fit the bill, but they like being the loudest voice in the room in the business meeting. They would lose their power if elders are appointed. So consciously or unconsciously, they sabotage the appointment process. They'll give account for that one day. Don't be that person. Don't turn God's sketches into photographs. Whether you're looking for the perfect elder candidate, a perfect spouse, a perfect church to worship with, there's a good podcast episode right there, or anything else in your walk with Christ that needs to be done right. Do the best you can with what you have where you are. God is the giver of good and perfect gifts. Don't throw out the good ones just because they aren't perfect. This is what I've been reading. I suspect that at the mention of the title of this week's book, The Kissing Sailor, a specific image may pop into mind. Black and white, August 14, 1945. A sailor in the middle of Times Square in New York City. A nurse in a white uniform. VJ Day. The sailor has the nurse bent over in a deep, passionate kiss. One hand supports her back. The other is cocked oddly by her left ear, seeming to deliberately avoid mussing her hair. Dozens of others pass by, but only the sailor and the nurse are in focus. Equal parts isolation and pandemonium, anonymity and publicity, passion and respect, excitement and relief. The cover of Life magazine and countless other publications since then. One of the most famous photographs ever taken. If you made that connection, give yourself a gold star. The Kissing Sailor is written about that very photograph called VJ Day 1945 Times Square. How it was taken, why it was taken, and especially the mysterious identities of the main subjects. Authors Lawrence Veria and George Galderisi take note of the various individuals who have claimed to be either the sailor or the nurse over the years. These include Edith Shane, who at one point got the endorsement of the photographer, Alfred Eisenstadt. Glenn McDuffie and Carl Mascarello have been the men most frequently accepted as the kissing sailor. However, the authors are convinced that two less celebrated individuals, George Mendonca and Greta Freeman, are the ones in the photo. And they have plenty of forensic evidence to back up their conclusions. I'm convinced anyway. You may well wonder why you should care one way or the other, and I'm not sure you should. I'm not sure I do. But I guarantee you this. The people who claim to be in the photo certainly care. Or they did, anyway. It was almost 80 years ago, and everyone called by name in this segment has passed away. But back in the day, when there was appearance money to be claimed, parades in need of grand marshals, and chairs on talk show sets longing to be sat upon, being the real sailor or the real nurse was a big deal. 
Greta Freeman was actually a dental hygienist, by the way, not a nurse, just to clarify. Eisenstadt took the photo in haste and moved on to other potential subject matter, never thinking to get the names of the couple or even speak to them. The photograph, in the absence of names, had the effect of capturing the feelings of all the sailors, all the nurses, indeed all Americans, in the joy of the moment. If you thought that might have been you in the photograph, well, that was the whole point. Every boy was kissing every girl that day, and everyone was okay with it. On that topic, the authors say the girl in the photograph just over the shoulder of the sailor is Rita Perry, who at the time was the actual girlfriend of the sailor, George Mendonca. Apparently, everyone got a hall pass on VJ Day. But Life magazine needed a boost in 1980, so the publishers put out a call for the real sailor and nurse to come forward. It was a disaster. They got far too many claimants to make a definitive determination. We may never know, they said in essence, but thanks for buying the magazine. In hindsight, the fight over names and identities did more damage than good. The photograph was intended to capture a moment in time, not turn ordinary people into minor celebrities. When the image takes on more significance than the motivation behind the image, that's when you know things are out of kilter. Testifying to that fact, I'll bet someone out there knows exactly what photograph I've been talking about and has no idea what VJ Day even is. If you're that person, don't wait for me to tell you. Go read a book. Find out for yourself. But first, take a mental photograph of yourself right now. Jesus has died for you. Your sins have been washed away. As we read in 1 John 5, 4, your faith has given you the victory. But remember, this is about the bigger picture, the battle that began in the Garden of Eden, and that will eventually result in all God's faithful rejoicing before his throne. Yes, you're happy, and yes, you should celebrate. Not by kissing some stranger in the next pew, probably, but definitely celebrate. But don't think of this as a chance to promote yourself. Think of this as a chance to sing the praises of the one who died so that we could all live. This is what I've been hearing. Our word camera is from the Latin term camera obscura, meaning dark room. In practical terms, a camera is a black box that allows light in through an aperture, which is a fancy word for hole allowing it to come in contact with a digital sensor, or actual film if you're still living in the 19th century. The amount of light that is allowed to reach the target is called exposure. You want enough, but not too much. With the proper exposure, you get a good photograph. That same word camera is also the root for our English word comrade. A comrade is the one you allow into the room, one with whom you share your space, and by extension, your life. I love the idea of Jesus being the best comrade imaginable. We are in the presence of God, but protected from the full impact of His holiness. No one has seen God at any time, we read in John 1.18. But Jesus is the light of the world, as He Himself said in John 8.12 and again in John 9.5. When we open the door to Him, the aperture, if you want to stick with the camera imagery, Jesus comes into the room with us, and we begin to change. We take upon ourselves the image of the Creator, as He has always intended. If we leave the door closed, despite His constant knocking, Revelation 3.20, we will never become what we are capable of being. We remain blank, and there's nothing more worthless or ugly than blank film. It's really very much like the story of Moses in Exodus 33, when he asked to see the full glory of God. 
God says in verse 20, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see my face and live. But he did give Moses a glimpse of his back while Moses was protected in the cleft of the rock. The rock is like one of those old fashioned cameras with a cap on the outside of the lens. The lens cap comes off, the film is exposed, and after a couple of seconds, the photographer says that's enough and puts the cap back on. Jesus works the same way for us, showing as much of the Father as we can handle, and like Moses, leaving us visibly altered. I love the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, according to Hebrews 1.3. When we become like him, we become children of our Father, the creation he had in mind for us from the beginning. So what would happen if you opened the aperture, but not in the presence of Jesus? In actual photography, you can substitute artificial light for sunlight. But in spiritual photography, Jesus is all the light there is. So what happens when you take a picture in a dark room? You get a black photograph. Maybe in this era of modern art, you could pass that off as a masterpiece and sell it for a million dollars. But to most of us, it would look like a waste of energy and opportunity. In the end, a waste of a life. This is the warning Jesus gives us in Matthew 6, 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? God gave us eyes so we could look for him. That's Paul's point on Mars Hill in Acts 17.27. Deliberately exposing your mind to darkness is the same as not having vision at all. How can you be transformed into God's image if you're letting nothing but darkness in? The world is full of darkness. That's why you must expose yourself to Jesus as completely and regularly as possible. When you do, Jesus says you become a light in the world, Matthew 5.14. The world could use more light, so turn yours on. This is what I've been playing. Say you're a photographer. You've been hired to take a group photo at a swanky dinner party, as have a few others in your gaming group. And only one of you is going to get paid for your efforts. Your task is to take the photograph that is most pleasing to the guests. Immediately, you are bombarded by special requests. Mr. Adams must be in front. Ms. Beasley must be in the middle. Little Charlie is terrified of animals. Ms. Dalrymple hates all men. Mr. Evans loves all women. And you may not even have enough time to get everyone's preferences or enough brain cells to process them all. Such is the chaos of Picture Perfect, a board game that Tracy and I really enjoy. It's part memory puzzle, part balancing act, part mystery solving, and they all add up to a very pleasant experience, if you're prepared to think hard enough. You collect information about as many of the party guests as you can over a set number of rounds. You note the bonuses you will earn by satisfying each one's predilections. Then you put the guests out there around the room, each in the most advantageous place, at least what you think is the most advantageous place, and see whose picture is the most perfect. A big part of success in Picture Perfect is remembering who is the one who will hurt you the most by being the most offended. You could get an extra point by putting Frederica on the left side of the room. 
but that might force you to move Geraldine away, and you're pretty sure you were going to get several points by having her right there. But you can't remember why. Was it because she was behind someone short? Because Frederica would do just as well. Or was it because she got points by being with people wearing hats? Because there are a lot of hats on that side of the room. You get the idea. No one's going to be perfectly happy in any case. You just want to upset the people who don't get that upset, and do that as seldom as possible. That's one approach to having peace in the church. Find all the whiners, all the deep pockets, all the families with connections to other congregations who might be inclined to relocate, and then make sure they get everything they want. Sure, some people will feel left out, but better to upset the single man in his 40s than the prosperous family of six or the eccentric millionaire retiree. You can't please everyone, so just make sure you please the people who really matter. Here's another approach, one much more in keeping with the message of the gospel. Teach everyone to love their brethren. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, Ephesians 5.21. Cultivate an attitude of service rather than entitlement. Show them the example of Paul, who couldn't have cared less about whether he had to be near the man with grubby clothes. He was eager to sacrifice personal preferences if it meant furthering the cause of Christ. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I have become all things to all people, so that I may by every possible means save some. Remind them of the life of Jesus himself, and how Paul writes in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, how we should all follow Jesus' example by pursuing others' interests, not just our own. You may chuckle and say, if I take that approach to taking a photograph of the church here, that will be one empty room. Maybe. Or maybe you don't give your brethren enough credit. The gospel is capable of transforming people. We sometimes minimize that. Is it possible for a selfish Christian to become less selfish? Or a prideful Christian to become less prideful? If Jesus can transform a blasphemer like Saul of Tarsus, or hotheads like James and John, or a flake like Peter, surely he can work wonders with the malcontents and underachievers you have to deal with every week. It might take a while, but then you didn't get where you are in your walk of faith overnight, did you? Like John Lennon used to say back in the day, give peace a chance. I suggest that you do what we do in our family gatherings. Get everyone in the same room and say, now everyone act like you love each other. Then snap the picture. Then do it again at the next event and again at the next. You might be pleasantly surprised at the photographs you wind up with. Thank you for listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Please rate, review, and share so others can access this content. I encourage you also to join the Heaven Citizens Facebook group. There you will find links to related materials, conversation starters, poll questions, and the occasional special announcement. Also, check out the Hal Hammonds channel on YouTube for even more content. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, Citizen of Heaven, signing off.